I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Red Men Weekly Podcast. I'm Steve Ho here to bring you the best clips from our Red Men Plus content from the last week. I always say it, just to let you know again, if you want to listen or watch these shows in their entireties, you've got two ways to do it. Redmenplus.com and sign up from as little as £6.99 a month. There's also yearly discounts available as well. You get all the episodes in video and in podcast forms. You can download them into various podcast apps directly on your device. Or if you're a Spotify user and you only want to use Spotify and you're not bothered about watching videos, you just want to listen to the stuff in Spotify, search Red Men Plus Podcasts in Spotify now. You can pay them directly and you get these into your Spotify feed as well. You won't get access to the videos on the website, but if you just listen on Spotify and that's your thing, then you can do that. So yeah, redmenplus.com if you want to watch and listen in your apps or Red Men Plus Podcast on Spotify to check these shows out in full. Right then, let's get on with the shows. The first one, the Biased Football Podcast. It's usually a very non-Liverpool-centric show, this one. Um, however, with the news that Phil Coutinho is making a move to play in Qatar, uh, you've got Paul, Chris, Dan and Chloe had a big old chat about the former Liverpool star. Check this out. Felipe Coutinho continues the development of his career. Um, he's joined uh, Al Duhail on loan, uh, Qatari side Al Duhail on loan for the rest of the season. According uh, to the BBC, the Brazilian midfielder 31 has made just two substitute appearances for Villa this term. After scoring one goal in 22 matches in the previous campaign, his current contract runs out in June 2026. Jesus. What have they done that for? Wow. Um, completed a move to Villa from Barca in July 2022. Um, Gerard at the time hailed him as a again. brilliant signing for the club. Mm, yeah. Slipped up there, hasn't he? I mean, he slipped up when he left Liverpool, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm. I absolutely live for this kind of stuff. You can't be making Stevie G slip jokes, Sam. <laughs> not on these couches, mate. It's just no, not right. He thought, obviously, Coutinho coming in, he probably sort of was heralded as a bit of a masterstroke at the time. Yeah, he hit the ground with Man United. I think they beat Man United like the first game. Yeah, he came on as a sub and scored. Yeah, he was brilliant, wasn't he? And you think, oh, I'll tell you what, he's onto something here. But as it turned out, his career has continued to spiral out of control, quite frankly. He's always flattered to deceive Coutinho. Do you think? Yeah. What do you mean by that? Like He, he's, he always looks better than he is. Okay. Like really? even I think even at Liverpool, like listen, don't get me wrong, I loved him at the time and stuff. But when you look back with the cold hard eyes, he, he just missed the target a hell of a lot. And Liverpool, yeah, could have scored a lot more goals if he wasn't just shooting from thirty five yards and taking it all on him. He had loads I mean, of quality though. He did have loads. And of he quality. hasn't shown it since. He was He's definitely good not player for a little while. So there was no one else who was capable of winning football matches for us. Was mm. the, the counterpoint? But you know, I we'll never know with him. I don't think Liverpool would ever hit the heights that they did. Even if they if they kept Phil, Phil Coutinho in, okay, yeah, in, in the starting eleven, I, 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 so. I know I, the Allison and, and yeah, the Van, Dijk, the Van Dijk, yeah. Dijk stuff, like you know what I mean. But I don't think he'd have been a massive part of what we did had he stayed. I I think it's it, the hardest thing with this is that Liverpool did the right thing selling him because the money they got for him was stupid. And as you say, if you if you just say, well, you swapped him for Allison and Van Dijk, and they were the two players, you had Fabinho into the mix, maybe who gave us the foundation to go and be a super side, beyond being a, a really good side, a really exciting side. It, it, turned, it took Liverpool up to the, to, to the top, absolute tip-top. Um, but it would have been fascinating to see what would have happened because he was on 
for like a 25 plus goal season that last that last season and that's the season where Salah gets 40 goals and Firmino breaks 20 goals which very rarely happens and Mane it was around around the 30 points yeah when he was trying to play for a move for Barca Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe, but it was also he was on that he was on that rise, you know. He was due that. He was Where due does that he fit season. in in the league winning side in the first eleven? That, Where does he fit in in the side that won the European Cup in the first eleven? What's but what's that? I, I don't think I don't think he gets in yeah, the first lo- eleven. You've loaded the question. That's the point. Yeah, in the first eleven, it depends on the game, doesn't it? Because where did he fit in the fit in the eleven before he, he was? He wasn't a very good eight, and he wasn't better than Sadio Mane on the left hand side. That that was the issue, not the issue, that wasn't the issue at the time because he was brilliant at the time, but when looking back now with the benefit of hindsight and you see what Jürgen Klopp transformed us into and sort of that workman-like midfield more as opposed to your flair and your glitz of, of Philip Coutinho, then it is hard to see where he fits. But I think with somebody who was that talented and that brilliant during his time with us, you make them players fit. You know, you're right to say, obviously, Sadio Mane, Firmino, and Salah go on to do great things, and they they have this understanding and this gel that you just can't you, you can't make that up. It's just incredible. And the midfield, similarly, although it doesn't have loads and loads of quality and class in there, it just works. And I don't know where Coutinho fits, so I take your point. But I think he was so incredible, and he was, See, he was a world class. Uh, what was his league tally for? T- t- most goals in a season was like 12 or 13 or did he uh, get a bit higher than that or I don't know because we've just talked about Neymar right scoring a bar nearly over well over a goal a game for some top sides in big competitions and Phil Coutinho got nowhere near that no he, he was nowhere like near that and we were quite disrespectful of what Neymar has done and yet for a lad who played for us who I think it was about 12 or 13 goals in a season was his biggest return for us like it's nothing like what we got went on to achieve with Mane scoring twenty yards, Salah scoring forty yards, Bobby Firmino getting around the same numbers that Coutinho was getting. You know what I mean? But I, said, I don't Mike, think it's outlandish to say that Liverpool we got oh, better because we were he well better. Yeah, oh god, yeah. My my only card was is that that was his season. That was the season because where he was he playing was for to Barcelona. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but that was the season he was due. He was on the pathway to being a twenty-plus goal a season player for that on that particular season. Um, he got five and five, I think, in the Champions League before leaving us. And it's hard, it's kind of hard to unpick because obviously he's got his Barcelona games at the back end. Um, I'll see if I can get it up in terms of his total numbers. But the his biggest goal scoring season for Liverpool was 14 goals uh, in all comps. Well, sorry. In all comps. Yeah, in all comps. 14 and 36 in the 2016-17 season. He got 12 in 20 in his final half season before, he was playing for the move before leaving us. One of those is definitely a fact. Um, the is that the year that he had back trouble on the plane and all that type of stuff. I know to well. think he came back from a back injury, and Chris, and, and got and twelve and twenty to do that. So incredible. he only he didn't play half a season. He played a month, a month <laughs> less than half a season, <laughs> which is pretty phenomenal yeah, return. Sure, seven and fourteen in the Premier League. He ended on uh, before leaving, so one and two. That's the best he ever did. Yeah, but that was again in half a season. Couldn't even sustain a full season. Well, you, you, I, didn't, I didn't see him. I didn't see him as a goal scorer though, like an out and out goal scorer. Yeah, no, that, that wasn't him. That, that wasn't. Him. No, I agree. Yeah, and I don't think like Sadio Mane obviously is. Firmino wasn't, but Salah, Salah was. So I don't How really... many league goals did Mane score that season? <sighs> what what year was it? Seventeen, eighteen, maybe fourteen. Oh, ten. Ten. Wow. Just three that- more than Phil Coutinho in a full season, despite being miles better than him. But he did. Phil Coutinho did the- did, didn't score as many as Manny in the full season. Because <laughs> <laughs> he played for the Mooners Barcelona. I don't know, let's have a look. <laughs> so he got 41 in 52 for us. So less than one in three. Again, flattered to deceive. That's all I said. It's a mad decision from him, isn't it, Chloe? I mean, you consider that he was... And it was Klopp's point about him being... You can stay here and yeah. become a legend, and you can have statues built to you and all this kind of stuff. And Salah scored more than that one year. I know that's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I mean, Kenny Dalglish is shit, and he because Salah scored more goals than him. Um, the um, but he did. Look, he Played made the offer his own back. And that's the thing about Coutinho is, and then Chris, Chris ultimately isn't wrong because 
he could have gone on and done more. Barcelona were a mess that he went to and they just didn't stand all the stuff that Klopp was training out of him, which was the let's just shoot from distance every five every five minutes. But yeah, ultimately that that last half a season for Liverpool is the peak of his is literally the peak of his remaining career. And now we're at a point where he's thirty one. He should be getting that move to Saudi because he's the same age bracket as Mo Salah and he's the same age bracket as Neymar and the same age bracket as Kevin De Bruyne. And he was the star in that Liverpool team up until that well, one of the stars up until that point. And here we are, he's you know, he's getting loans to he's, he's not even going to the one the, the Middle Eastern League that's got the, the bottomless pits of cash. It's a sad fall from grace. Um, no, I think it's beautiful. Um, <laughs> I, I don't like him. Uh, and the reason I don't like him is it's one thing to go to Barcelona. Look, Liverpool have been a stepping stone for a lot of my life. They were the stepping stone. Xabi Alonso ended up at Real Madrid at, at a stage. Liverpool, aside, you know, even Fernando Torres, been dust off for Chelsea. We, a lot of my life, you know, Liverpool were the stepping stone. It was a case of Libby Suarez. Oh my God, look at how good he was for Liverpool. Look at the stage we put him on. As soon as Arsenal came around the corner, now I want to leave. Oh no, well, we're not accepting that because it's Arsenal. And then he had eventually went for, for Barcelona. Look, was he better than Liverpool at the time? A hundred percent. Do I think Coutinho was better than what Liverpool were at the time. I'm not too sure I can say that because I don't think Barca were this supreme. Obviously, they are in terms of being Barcelona, but in that moment, you know, they, they weren't going to go on and win Champions Leagues. And Liverpool, you felt like under Jürgen Klopp, might have something special there. They might be creating something. Um, and he forced his way out. If he would have went gracefully, absolutely fine. But he pretended that he had an injury here and there. He forced his way out of the club. Um, and I hope it haunts him. I really do. Because Jürgen Klopp literally said to you, mm-hmm. how much he adored you. And also, if you stay here, they'll sing songs about you. You'll be on a banner. You know that banner that comes across the cop? You'll be on there. You'll have a statue outside if you create history here. You'll be remembered. You will feel loved more than you will be anywhere else. You'll never get the reception, no matter what club. You go to Barcelona, yeah, watch. You've got him, 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 him. You've got 10 other players who are you better than you. FC. Yes, mm. you do. But even Sergio Busquets, lauded. Jordi Alba, lauded. You were against, you, there were players there who were always going to be bigger than Felipe Coutinho would ever be. Um, and at Liverpool, he, he had the option to make himself you know, a hero, an icon. Um, he didn't. He forced his way out and his career has gone absolutely downhill. Yeah, has he won a Champions League? Yes. Uh, did he star in that Bayern Munich team? Absolutely not. Uh, he still won things. But I, I'd really like to interview him and ask him just how much he regrets leaving Liverpool. Um because I absolutely live for people who think they're bigger than the football club and then it turns out you're His issue with regards to the legacy, because I can think of there's plenty of players who've left Liverpool, Dan, and some, some of them have gone on. Not many of them have gone on and done more. No. You know, like Suarez is a good example of someone who just continued his upward trajectory. And look, that might have actually been a Alonso's con- the other. Might have been a contributing mm. factor. Alonso is another one who was, you know, he's remembered as Stay being a better player for Liverpool than he actually, than he actually was. The... You've got Sterling, who obviously is, but he, he and Sterling's an, an interesting comparison. I think they're both very similar because I don't think either of them reached their peak at Liverpool. So we actually didn't really truly get to see the fact that we can have this argument about like what was his, what was his best. If he'd stayed for one more year, I think we'd have seen him. He'd have gone on and, and potentially had that all conquered and he fulfills his potential. Yeah. Whereas he left without getting to that, that level. So we've got, Nice little moments of some good goals that he scored. You know, we can all remember the little the little stand up Man United in the Euro- in the Europa League, great goal against Stoke away mm-hmm. in uh, fifteen sixteen. Was it sixteen seventeen? Anyway, um, but he, yeah, he left as that. So it was like a it was just a firework that never went off. Whereas someone like Torres. Like Torres, we got the best of Fernando Torres, and then actually we got like a bit of fun of seeing him fall off there. But at least there was something. Coutinho was just a bit. There'll come a point where you will probably like it's like you forget he even played for Liverpool. I kind of have that with 
Sterling, but in a different way. No, I agree with that absolutely. Yeah, and it's an interesting one. I really, lo- I really like Coutinho. I thought he was brilliant football, and the fact we sort of eight million we signed him for wasn't yeah, it Vincent Milan? And you know, to sign someone for that cheap, who obviously hasn't quite worked in Italy for him for whatever reason, all of a sudden you see this lad, and you think, tell you what, there's a little bit going on. He's a little bit special. This, and yeah. he has these these flashes of brilliance and inspiration. I remember the goal he scored against Man City as well on the way, well trying to win the title that year, and he just had that quality within him, and you think, okay, this kid is sort of on the cusp, on the verge of really breaking through that glass ceiling and going he could be world class too world class and you're right I think he clearly knew that himself and I think the problem is and Chloe's writing what she says and sort of the grass isn't always greener we've seen that now on multiple different times and that was definitely the case when it came to Coutinho of course but he's also seen different stories like Luis Suarez and other people of that ilk and I think the issue is and I with a heavy heart I have to say this but when a lad comes from Brazil, like he does. The law of Barcelona is just too much to resist. And unfortunately, whatever we think of Liverpool Football Club, he doesn't share that same belief to yeah. us, to him, to him rather. To us, it's everything. To him, it's just a football club. And it's just a, a pathway in his career that he's taken at that moment in time. And you're right. He should have seen what Jurgen Klopp was telling him. And he should have listened. He should have heeded the advice. And he should have seen the project and what Jurgen Klopp was capable of. And he should have gone, you know what? I'm going to stick around here because this could be special. He's been blinded by the fact it's Barcelona. Whatever we think of Barcelona at the time, and they were a mess, it's Barcelona Football Club. And unfortunately, them and Real Madrid, when they come calling, especially for South Americans, there's no stopping it. Cheers to Paul and the guys for that one. Hope you enjoyed that one. And yeah, good luck to Phil, I suppose, over in Qatar, where you'll earn lots and lots of money. Speaking of money, who knows more about football finances, especially in the Merseyside area, than Dave Powell? The answer is not many people at all. The business of football writer for the Liverpool Echo, also on the Bottom Line podcast. He was on to speak to Dan Club on this week's Expert Insight. There's been a lot of talk about FSG, investors, all this kind of stuff. So Dan went on a big old chat about Liverpool and their financial situation with Dave. Check it out. You mentioned there sort of FSG's future plan for Liverpool and part of that was the investment search that we obviously spoken about previously, you and I, and it was reported on the back end of last year. And we haven't really had any major updates on it recently. I think the last I seen was a lot of conversations have been had. You mentioned Mike Gordon's return to the day-to-day. And I feel like now we're in a bit of a holding position on this. Now, I wondered whether they will have sort of sought out their preferred options and those conversations will still be going on. Is this normal practice, Dave? You've been around this industry for a long time. Is the way this has gone very sort of similar to how different deals have sort of unfolded. And also, we've seen what's going on down the road at Manchester United. Is that likely to impact what's going on with Liverpool at all? Because I think a lot of people have sort of put two and two together in that and kind of made 10 out of it, if you like, because suddenly their deal's in jeopardy and people are going, well, they might want to come and invest in Liverpool then. Does that make any sense to you at all? Um, no, to, to address the first bit, it's more of a fishing exercise than anything. So when they created the sales deck, I mean, if you want to know the value of a part of a business, you have to know the value of the whole of the business. So um, it was a bit of a fishing exercise, see what kind of interest there was, how much people would be willing to pay. Um, and they went cold in it quite quickly. It was, um, I mean, by December time, it was um, they pivoted right back to, to one in the minority stake but it's a different search for for Liverpool so if you look at um, the likes of Everton at the moment they're search scrapping around trying to find some uh, some way to recapitalize the business aid cash flow etc for FSG they've got they have access to credit lines if they wanted just a minority investment just to bring in some money they could have done that very easily by selling to a, a passive investment partner, maybe an Arctos or, or something like that, who they already have on board in FSG. They could have sold a small part of this to some investment fund that would have just said, yeah, here's some capital. You have that and we'll just wait and ride that train until such time the value of the football club increases um I don't know, to seven billion or whatever. So that's that's a perfect. It's, it's a great investment for for, for funds, but um, for the same, so they can access funds if they want. That's not that's not an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, what they want is someone to come in and where they can partner with and potentially become a rights holder. So whether that's through uh, changes in how broadcast is done, ownership of digital assets and things. So Barcelona right now are trying to, they've sold their, their media business for the value of a billion, uh, billion dollars. So um, all these things are important to, to 
to realise that Liverpool's a global brand and, and FSG want to try and monetize that um, as best they can. But in terms of who's coming in, I imagine they would have had conversations now and identified with people who they'd be interested in partnering with, who they think can bring them both capital and scale. So they're able to get plug them into a whole different matrix of other opportunities and make them almost kind of mini Disney's. So yeah, you, you kind of, you, you know, it's, you're adding businesses to the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's the plan, I think. In terms of Manchester United, that's, that is important because uh, I think every major Premier League club owner is looking at the Glazers and thinking they're taking one for the team here because um, they don't care what fan sentiment is towards them. And they are willing to... Uh, get under the skin of every single fan by just holding out for the biggest price. While as if, you, if you're a United supporter, obviously that's um, it's abhorrent um, because they have used the football club like an ATM, personal ATM, they, they take dividends out. They're the only Premier League owners that take dividends out of the football club. But at the same time, they are holding out for a premium price, which they first said was $6 billion. Now they believe it could be as much as $10 billion. So at a time when we were talking about partial sales in Liverpool at four billion. Uh, are Liverpool really at two billion uh, worth two billion less than Manchester United? Are they worth six billion less than Manchester United? So no one really knows. All these the valuations of, of football clubs are a funny one because people tend to do it on a multiple of revenue. So how much revenue you earn t- at times X Y Z. So mm-hmm. in the Premier League for a long time, for, among the biggest clubs, it's been a multiple of revenue of about six and seven. North American sports are multiple, multiple revenues, 10, 11, 12. So that's where US owners in particular want to get to. They want to kind of get that kind of return. Um, FSG are going to be here forever. It's not, um, you know, they, 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 but that, their business is value creation. So uh, if they think there's more value to create, and there is in terms of um, football, if they wanted to buy another football club the size of Liverpool, they'd probably have to pay $6 billion to acquire it. So if they've got one that's at the moment, then it's, um, why, why would they let it go? So um, from what I can gather, there's nothing in the, the uh, QIA or Qatar stuff. No. Um, it's largely, the transfer window's closed. There's been rumours about United sale being off. Um, so there's usually an information vacuum that people need to fill um, for engagement. So that means that Oh, you know, um, John Enriel talks with um, with whoever. So I, I, I dare say that that the kind of Qatar etc. would love uh, a slice of Liverpool, but these things take a long, long time and doesn't really chime with. I don't see what they bring, even if, if unless it was a full scale takeover and John Henry had just decided, no, I'm done with this, mm-hmm. um, and they're going to pay well above the odds. I don't see what they bring uh, in terms of what Liverpool need. So that's the that's the kicker, really. So, so from, from my from my point of view, in terms of what I've heard, I don't think anything anything on that has, has really transpired. It's as you say, it's um, just it's a bit of a holding pattern at the moment. People are waiting to see what happens with United and the valuation of the market, interest rates, etc. Um, globally, so there's a few factors to consider. So I think it's one of those things that it will take. Um, as long as it takes to coin a Mr. Bull from Peppa Pig, which I've been watching this morning. So nice. I people, that. People, with, people with kids would, uh, would, would appreciate the Peppa Pig reference, but yeah, it, it takes, it'll take, um, as long as it takes, it might not even um, transpire at all, but it's, um, but it's worth remembering that the, the kind of people say, Oh, we, we, this is, you know, it was going to be done by end of summer or whatever. I mean, largely FSG don't say much, and they say very little, actually. So um, the narrative's driven um, in the media. So it's one of those things. I don't think much has, has changed. And I don't think from their point of view, they, if they look back on what they've said, I don't think an awful much would have changed from their initial um, initial comments. So, yeah, that's a um, long-winded way to say there's not much to say. No, I think that's fair enough, mate. I do. Like I say, I think it's always like to be a slow process. You want to get the right people on board because, like I say, these are going to work alongside FSG essentially and look to grow the business together. And you don't want to be bringing in the, the wrong people essentially. But I do want to ask you about one particular group, and it feels like I always touch on these whenever we speak. And it's Liberty Media again because I came across their CEO. Now, forgive me on all of this, Greg Maffey was a speaker at the Goldman Sachs. Now, this is a word I've never seen before. Communicopia? 
Communicopia and Technology Conference last week, and he confirmed that Liberty had been approached by various sports outfits and essentially said that they will be looking to invest in any sport around the world. Obviously, we know them from the Formula One stuff and all that, and very proficient in what they do, I think it's fair to say. Now, given everything you've just been talking about there in terms of adding value to the business, you mentioned broadcast, you mentioned Disney, that, to me, what they do feels like a good fit yeah, and they're, they're the, the the links with those. Well, I don't know, you know, whether conversations have have taken place. Certainly, from the people I've spoken to, who kind of um, au fait with with Greg Maffei, they, they said that nothing's been mentioned to them. So um, it makes sense that one. In reality, uh, I think I think you look around, you think of all the investments that they could make, um, or. You, you think that kind of makes a lot of sense and mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of alignment there in terms of what Liverpool would seek a huge business and they've got in the already in the sports market with like you say they own F1 mm-hmm. and then they also own the Atlanta Braves I think um, baseball team so there's, uh, there's some competitive element there with their with, with FSG and the Red Sox but if you look at how they've grown Formula 1 under their ownership through Drive to Survive and the popularity of it, even at a time when we've got the same fellow winning every single race, um, I think is a probably a testament to, to kind of how they've managed to push that forward. So that's an interesting one. It probably is one to watch. Um, nothing to suggest that that's, that that's close or anything, but it's one of those that I think has um, legs, it has merit in terms of its links because it makes sense from a business standpoint for, for FSG. And I, I can understand why they, they would seek to try and partner with someone like that. Also, they're a huge global company, which has scale. So, um, and to offer Liverpool that kind of insight um, would would be huge, I think. But I, nothing, to my knowledge, is is close to that. And I, but not to say that they aren't. I imagine they are on FSG's radar in a, in, in a considerable way. Yeah, definitely. I think the reason I bring it up so much is because, like you say, it does feel like a more sort of sensible fit. It does feel like one that would be sort of all parties would be on board with. Um, just finally, though, before I let you go, uh, Billy Hogan suggested recently Liverpool could return to the US for their pre-season tour. Next year, obviously, went to Germany and Singapore this time around. The, in terms of sort of monetary, you mentioned Mohamed Salah and Times Square early on. Like in terms of the business side of things, a pre-season tour to the US feels like the most valuable. Is that right? Um, yeah, I mean, Liverpool uh, have a lot of commercial partners which are based in the Far East. So that was, um, and, and obviously with the COVID uh, knocking summer tours on the head for a couple of years, they had to play a lot of catch-up because um, every commercial partner wants um, some FaceTime. They want... Um, some brand recognition with Liverpool when they come over. So that's understandable. Liverpool have a huge fan base in those, those regions. So those fans um, want to, you know, want to see, want to see the Reds. So but in terms of the U S uh, yeah, there's a push for that because the U S have, have now come on board as a major um, market, which is interested in football. I mean, not only the premier league, but football as a whole. I mean, they're, they're interested in the domestic league through the fact that Lionel Messi now plays for Inter Miami. So that, that goes some way to help him. But uh, yeah, I mean, you've also got to remember that the, the world cup uh, in America's 2026. So clubs will start trying to position themselves now to, um, to tap into that fandom that, that is kind of existing in, in the U S especially at a time when the, the country's building towards a world cup. So yeah, I think that's where they had, they end up next summer. Um, I think I'd be very, very surprised if they didn't quite where they do it. I'm not sure whether it's, um, I think there's a good chance that it could be West coast. Maybe, um, that might make some sense. It was, I think they did East coast last time around and then they did New York, yeah. Boston, South bend, um, so uh, potentially they look towards LA, San Francisco, and things. I don't know. I mean, these, these are this is this is me using my um, my kind of guessing at here, but it seems to chime into what what might happen um, as of next year. But I, I find it hard to believe they won't go to the US next year, and, and for, for commercial reasons, it would make a lot of sense. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thanks to Dan and thanks to Dave for that one. Sticking with Dan then for another expert insight this time. It was with Matt Addison, the Liverpool.com editor. He is an expert basically as Matt in Liverpool's under-21s and their 18s as well. And yet Dan had a big old chat about the next generation of Liverpool stars. Uh, yeah, have a listen to this. You touched on Javel Quanta there a couple of times and I'm really intrigued by Javel Quanta. Not only due to the fact that I spoke to somebody from Bristol Rovers a long time ago who spoke really highly of him and really sort of backed him to make it at Liverpool. I don't think anybody quite expected him to have the the rise or the, the role that he's had so far this season. What have you made of that? And have you been equally surprised by the fact that he's suddenly thrust into the first-team squad? And it feels like a quite a, I don't want to say a permanent fixture there now, but he's certainly a permanent fixture until January, it feels like, anyway. Yeah, I think he will get opportunities. Like I say, I mean, there's there's not loads of, of centre-backs that have have left themselves short in terms of senior options because they didn't do anything in the, the summer in terms of bringing somebody in. So they've obviously got a level of, of trust with him. I think he's you know, been cool and calm and composed, which is always a good thing. That's the, the biggest thing for me, really, is when you have a, a defender and you throw them in, you don't want them to be doing anything rash or doing anything different to what they would normally do. He seems to have the temperament to, to do that. I think that's something we've we've kind of always seen with him for the last couple of years, uh, probably 18 months, two years ago. I remember I spoke to him before an FA Youth Cup semi-final. He was the, the captain of, of that age group. He was obviously a leader. He was someone that you know, was, was obviously comfortable to, to step up and he must have been, what, 17, 18 at the time. But he was, you know, he, he came across really well in, in that interview and, you know, that that's the kind of character I think that you need to be. You need to be a leader. You need to be sort of confident in your own game. Obviously, keeping things fairly simple and, and fairly basic, but that's what he's done. And I think the the more he, he can maybe come off the bench for the last ten minutes, the more he'll be able to grow into that role. And he is definitely an option. He surprised me in as much as I think probably another loan would have been what I would have expected at the start of, of the summer. I also thought Luke Chambers might be a little bit further ahead of him in terms of the pecking order. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, again, another one similar to, to Bobby Clark, who's excelled over the last few years with England's youth groups and, and has come through. Again, can sort of play full-back and centre-back, so you think would would fit perfectly in the way that Liverpool are trying to play. Um, but yeah, but between the two of them, there is definitely a, a lot of, of quality there. We've not obviously seen loads of, of Chambers. There was the, the reports over the summer that you know Bayer Leverkusen might be interested in him. Possibly a loan could have happened, but but didn't. I think it'll be interesting to see the, the next steps for, for both of them. I'm not 100% sure in terms of the injury situation with Chambers. Maybe there's been... You know, a couple of little problems over the summer and, and that's why we've not seen loads of him. But I think between the two of those two, there's there's definitely, you know, something long term in it for Liverpool. Obviously they fit the, the system, but you know, more important than that, they're both very, very good footballers. And I, yeah, I think for Jarrell, the, the next step really would be to try and get some starts. I think he's shown now that he's capable of, of coming off the bench and, you know, at home against some lesser opposition in, in Europe. It would be, you know, still a big step for him. It would still be a big, a big ask and very different to playing in League One. But I don't think any of us would be 
concerned by it or massively worried by it, if you saw his name on the team sheet, I think more than anything, you'd probably be excited. No, I agree. Yeah, and as you say, he's taken it in his stride so far, given the fact he was. He got a handful of games at the back end of last season in League One to suddenly be sort of thrust into the limelight, 10 men away at St. James's Park. He handled himself brilliantly. And as you say there, his, his temperament is sort of akin to that as well. So I don't think anyone, certainly me, would be overly concerned if he was starting games. And as you kind of alluded to, you're never too far away from starting games at centre-back for Liverpool at the minute. So it might well might well happen, unfortunately. Certainly when we're getting red cards every other week by the by all the sounds of it as well. Um, the main crux of the episode, Matt, I wanted to touch upon was Liverpool's youth policy and the change in it. Obviously, Brexit enforced much of this change. And Liverpool have gone down a new pathway. It's been much spoken about. It's been much deliberated on. And we continued it this summer as well. Now, some of the names we've spoken about already so far, Ben Doak, um, Bobby Clark and his others, there's Kate Gordon, Trent Cohn-Doherty, Callum Scanlon and many more have been players that we've snapped up from British clubs essentially over in Ireland a couple of them as well and we've kind of identified them as top talents in different academies we've brought them into our own and tried to continue their development with us and stuff like that and I suppose before we go on to the new lads I wanted to touch on how successful do you think that policy's been so far in that new strategy because not every club's doing it Liverpool uh, in my opinion very much at the forefront of it is it working? Do you see a benefit? And obviously the first team are benefiting from it when you look at Ben Doak and Bobby Clark in particular. But the academy itself, is that is the quality of the, the, the academy side raising and therefore is the training levels raising? Has this been a success, would you say? I'd say it's been a big success for Liverpool. I mean, you always want to try and, and cut corners or, or save money or you know try and, and find the next best thing before you have to pay the, the big money. And there's been a lot of criticism when you look at what Brighton have done over the, the summer with, you know, Moises Caicedo, for example, they bought him for a very small fee and, and have sold him for, for big money. Loads of other examples as well. And people always say, well, well why, would, why don't Liverpool do that? Why couldn't Liverpool go to South America, buy Moises Caicedo, put him in the team? And, you know, the obvious reason for that is that he wouldn't have been ready to, to come in and play the regular minutes as he has for Brighton. He wouldn't have got that development. But I think at youth level, it's, it's obviously slightly different. It's still... You know, a big step, I'm sure, to go from, say, a Derby County Academy for someone like Kate Gordon to come in and, and play for Liverpool regularly. It's 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 a different environment. The, the expectations are different. He obviously was getting minutes at you know, 15, 16 at Derby, where that isn't probably going to be the case at Liverpool. Had to wait a little bit longer and, and be a bit more patient. But it's, it's almost the same process, I think, for me. You're looking for the next big thing before it happens. And I think for me, it's it's already started to pay off because... Now imagine, for example, that Liverpool had waited a couple of years before they looked at Harvey Elliott. You know, how much would he have cost then compared to, to what he cost? Even just that saving alone would make it a huge amount of money for Liverpool, I think. So if you can do that, you know, once every couple of years, for example, you're saving yourself suddenly a huge amount of money. I can understand that the opposite point might be that, you know, it maybe blocks the path of certain other players who are coming through the academy or things like that. But I just think if you get the opportunity for, you know, a Bobby Clark, for example, to be signed one of one of the top probably two or three talents of his age in the country, of course, you're going to go and do that. And it was an opportunistic one. If if he was still at Newcastle now, would he leave? Perhaps not. Maybe he would look at Newcastle in a different way, but obviously at the time Liverpool were able to do that deal, bring him across. And I think within the, the next couple of years, we'll see you know, the benefit of that. Kate Gordon, again, is, is one still to, to keep an eye on. And ultimately, you know, as, as much as we want all of these players to do well, the worst case scenario is that you can kind of do what Chelsea do, where they stockpile all of these young kids, suddenly make a load of money. And you know, worst case scenario for someone like Bobby Clark is that you know, he, he doesn't quite make it at Liverpool's level, but probably will make it somewhere else in the Premier League. And, you know, look at the money that Manchester City have got for, for players that, you know, most people wouldn't have even heard of. Romeo Lavia, for example, last summer, they got £14 million for a player that had never played it, you know, in, in the Premier League or, or whatever. He was very, very young. But that's £14 million that they can then spend on, on somebody else. So I think it, it just makes a lot of sense. And I think a lot of people are very quick to to jump on Liverpool for not doing this kind of thing in other areas and maybe less quick to, to point out that actually they do do this in their own way, in a way that suits them a lot better and, and probably will work out for them in the long term. 
No, 100%. I didn't really even consider sort of the sort of the knock-on effect it has when you are selling them because you're right, sort of reference Man City. They did it this summer with James Trafford, I think the goalkeeper as well, went to Burnley for around 20 million or something like that. And you think, that's, that's with all due respect to James Trafford, that's money for old rope when it comes to Manchester City. Like that FFP bump that you're giving yourself via that. And it's something Liverpool were good at a few years ago and something we need to get back at. Like we sold Rian Brewster for good money. Obviously, Dominic Solanke was another one. They were a little bit older in terms of their development and stuff like that. But Solanke obviously brought him for, for free, I think, for Chelsea. Then we sold him for around the 20 million and we do need to get better at selling to allow ourselves to, to do more in the market in terms of incoming. So, yeah, it's a really good point. And, yeah, like I say, if one or two of them Bendo, Bobby Clark potentially can actually make it for Liverpool, you know, even better. But I think, yeah, moreover, the academy being stronger helps others develop as well around them. And then whatever you can make on the backside of it, even better. Um, in terms of the two new lads, I think it's Amara, Nalo, and Trey and Yoni signed this summer. Have you seen anything of them at all? I know Trey and Yoni scored a hat trick in a 10 0 friendly win. That's not a bad way to introduce yourself. Yeah, I've not seen either of them yet, but obviously a team that he scored the hat trick, and you know I think he's you know again one of the the top talents, a player that Liverpool really happy to to get over the line and, and bring in. It's just a case of you know almost as bad as it sounds. You bring in enough of these lads, then one of them's probably going to make it. They're not all going to make it, but if you bring in ten of the best rated academy youngsters, probably you know there's a good chance that someone somewhere will pay off in, in some form so I think it's it, it's promising really Liverpool are continuing to do this I noticed there was some some quotes that, that resurfaced from Evan Ferguson I think they were from an interview from about 12 months ago where he kind of said well you know why why would I have picked Liverpool when you know the, the pathway isn't there the, the opportunities aren't there I might have played in the 23s for a couple of years and, and not really got anywhere and you know I, I don't think that would have been true I, I don't think that was true at the time and, and hasn't obviously proven to be true since but it's clear that you know these young players and the parents and the families are looking at Liverpool still as a place where you can develop you're at a top club but you can still make it and, and take that next step so you know that's that that's crucial really that pathway of you know Harvey Elliott has done it Bobby Clark is, is maybe the next one to do it and these young lads will be looking at, at those and thinking well you know in what was it, maybe six months after Kate Gordon signed, he was going on a first trip, uh, first team trip for, for pre-season. I'm sure these lads are, are looking at that as well. And yeah, it can only be a good thing, can't it? They both seemingly make good starts. And yeah, a hat-trick in one of your first matches for Liverpool is you know, a dream, I think, for any player. Thanks to Dan and thanks to Matt for that one. Moving on, it's time for Jano Insight. Neil Jones back from his little summer holiday there. So Jano Insight was a bit later in the week than usual. We had a really good question sent in one by sorry by one of our Discord users. All about Jörg Schmadke, about Liverpool's plans of sporting directors going forwards. We had a chat about Michael Edwards and Ian Graham working for a, an opposite consultancy company. So yeah, here's what we had, here's what Neil rather had to say on today's journal insight. Right then, one final Discord question. This one comes from Red Assassin. Red Assassin, 210, nice uh, username there. Uh, when does Neil think Liverpool will have the whole sport and direct the saga done and dusted? And does he have any idea if York is actually seen favourably inside the club? Now, there were some rumours around Julian Ward bopping around this week and there was a bit, there was like, Michael Edwards has now got this new consultancy firm yeah. on the go with Ian, Ian Graham. Graham doing the, the obviously excellent pool. Great story. Well. Really good, yeah. yeah. Good, good scoopage by them. Um, yeah. Do you have any idea of where we're up to? Obviously, Schmack is still involved. He was on a short-term yeah. deal, but it wasn't. It wasn't like two weeks. He's still there for for a while yet. But do you know any update on any yeah. of that kind of stuff? Not really. No. I mean, it's, I, I think, I think they'll look back. I think obviously it's a really test the window, but I think Liverpool will look back on this window quite favourably. Yeah. Um, in terms of what got done, you know, not not everything was perfect, and there were some moments where it felt like it, you know the world was falling apart. But I think Liverpool look and say, you know. Considering everything, they got they got a decent job. You know, they kept hold of the all the players they wanted to keep hold of. They got good money for for a couple of players who wanted to leave, who were aging, and they've got in they've got in three good young players and, a, and an experienced sort of um, senior pro. I think they'll, they'll look look at it and say, you know what, not a bad window that. So I, I don't see why Schmadke would not be seen favourably. Uh, what the, what I spoke to people about him said you know he's very much a he's very much of the Klopp type in that he's you know he's straight to the point sort of real kind of guy you know no no nonsense 
no sort of management speak. He's you know he's he's very informal if you like in the way that he, he deals with things and he's, he'd rather just have a conversation and not sort of oh, a process process sort of sit down and you know do this um i think obviously they've set a high bar really in the past haven't you liverpool with the way that they've dealt and the the, the slickness of the operation really especially with michael edwards and subsequently with julian so i think I, I don't see why there would be a sort of a huge rush to to get him out of there. It might be from his point of view. Maybe he thinks that was a <laughs> that was a, that was three months of my life that was pretty stressful. I could imagine he would at, at times with you know Caicedo and with Salah and some of the things Lavia. with the Henderson, Lavia, yeah, all those things um, that have been going on. But yeah, I don't I don't really see why it would be such a negative sort of feeling. On either side, really, and we'll we'll see. It's not. I mean, Jorg's said himself, hasn't he? It's not a three month contract. It's it was a sort of a contract with the idea that we'll review it in three months and have a have a look at it. Um, I'd be interested to see. I'd be interested to be flying the wall in that meeting because you know, Liverpool probably aren't too far away, are they? I know they've got some big decisions coming up with probably with Salah. They've got Trent's contract and things like that, but I don't think they're too far away from having a really good side. And it's it's almost like, well, if they can have another window like that one, maybe getting a centre back in, maybe getting a right back in, you could start to look at Liverpool and say that's a pretty good squad that they've, they've built, isn't it? And um, I wonder whether they might they might feel a carry on and and do what they did in this window, albeit by the seat of the pants at sometimes. Yeah, just very much stop uh, stop buying, buying all our players off, isn't it? Yeah. Let, us, let us box you all up. Yeah, let's, have, just, let's, let's have, have like till next summer at least. I, I do think, I don't know if you agree, like the, the Gravenberg one kind of tipped the scales a little bit. I think uh, up to that point, everyone was a little bit like, oh, it's been all right. You know, McAllister's yeah, yeah, yeah. like, good end though, don't really know. We probably want short. And then you get, get the Gravenberg one done. And now, what's interesting is if when they found out that that might be a thing because... They left it very late, obviously, and I wonder was there a plan B if it wasn't grabbing? But there's all those kind of yeah, things, yeah. I suppose. It, it, looking back on it now, everyone's quite happy in, in general. Probably, I say, I think everyone wanted the defender. I think everyone's that. One, probably probably one short, yeah, aren't yeah. they? But I think more, if it was if it hadn't been for the grabbing base deal, everyone would have been like, ah, that was that was the bare minimum, really. Yeah. And yeah. I wonder that even in I don't know how involved Schmanke was in that deal anyway, but it is it is one where it feels like it's tipped the balance towards a more positive mood set mood around it all. I guess. Yeah, and they've still got similar people in. You know, obviously Barry Hunter, for example, was. Heavily involved in in Gravenberg. Messes dad in yeah. Yeah, Dave Fallows. You know, who's still still there. They were heavily involved in in that, and there's still people in there who, who do a lot of that behind the scenes work. And it, you know, it was point made to me in the past. You know, under both Michael Edwards and Julian Ward, they they get the sort of the kudos for for all of the you know the signings. He said they're not always sort of the driving force behind it. They're the ones who maybe decide where to send people or you know right okay I'll go and make the pitch to Mike Gordon about whether we need this player or how much we can sort of afford to pay but there's a lot of other people at the club who you know I mean Ian Graham was another one wasn't he that, that, that became a sort of a a known figure but there are a lot of other people who are still in position at the club scouting recruitment networking with agents and parents and all these other people who are still playing a similar part it's not all on Schmadke to get the deal done it's not all on Klopp to sort of convince the player it, the, the the work is done beyond beyond that um, but I think if you look at the deals that Liverpool have got done you know they've got two players on, on release clauses I think we're, I think we can safely say they're good deals yeah. <laughs> you know, I think we're very happy so with, we're very happy with those two deals I, like I say I think Gravenberg at the price I think is a good signing I, I don't I don't see much Downside in, in the Gravenberg sign, and I think he's, I think he's at the very least going to retain his value or retain some sort of value. And at the at best, he could go on and become a really, really good player for Liverpool. Endo is a a strange signing, but I quite like, I quite like Liverpool's sort of what's the word, sort of commitments to the. Not almost not worrying about the PR of it, you know. It, it would be easy. We see Manchester United do it quite a lot, where it's almost like oh God, the, 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 we need to go make a big statement sign and sort of get people, you know, on board. It's a very left field sign, and wasn't it? You know, whether whether the player turns out to be good enough or not, but it shows a sort of a courage of conviction from Liverpool, doesn't it? That actually, do you know what? 
we think he's the best option out there for us and then we're going to go and do this with Gravenberg or whatever I, I quite admire that about it and it does suggest that there's still a degree of joined up thinking in Liverpool that he didn't just go oh god we've got 110 million on the Casado money just go and get bah, let's just throw it at this 28, 29 year old and, and sort of hope for the best it, it suggests there's still a, a degree of strategy about it or a degree of um, you know pragmatism at play and then obviously yeah, and then, and then Gravenberg late in the window I, th- I think the one the one black mark on it would be the, the defensive situation I still think Liverpool left themselves yeah. in in a situation that, we're, that they're in now aren't they with, with defensive injuries and suspensions um, mm-hmm. but that sort of has always been their way a little bit hasn't it they've always edged towards the one too few as to one too many haven't they and you know we'll see we'll see how it turns out I, I hope it doesn't come and bite them as it has in the past with, with other issues but I think that's the only thing that you would look at this window and say what would they do what would they do and really they, I think they, they probably should have been bringing in a centre back and probably getting rid of one Absolutely, yeah. We, we spoke about David Man earlier. It was a week ago now that uh, David Ornstein reported about Michael Edwards' return to football with the advisory firm Ludonautics, I think you pronounce it. That's Ian Graham's advisory service, they're called, work with football clubs to uh, you know help them out with their strategies, data, that kind of stuff. From a Liverpool point of view, this is the first really where people have left and they're going to help other clubs like straight away. Michael Edwards was on a bit of a leave break. Yeah. Ian Graham was saying this, Julian Ward is still out of football. Do you think there's any concern at all with Liverpool now that they lose the edge? Not, not only losing the edge, but like just the, the, the amount of knowledge about the, yeah. not, not just Liverpool, but the, the type of players they want and the, who you can get and the contacts. Now they're, they're actively going to be working for rivals because that hasn't been the case really. These guys yeah. have left, but they've been on the holidays, they've been on garden leave or whatever they've been doing. Now they're actively back in it and again, potentially helping other football clubs, whether it's advisory or whatever. Yeah. There must be a little bit of concern around at the actually going, ah, you know, it's almost like you know the, the guys who know your secrets are, are now working somewhere else. Yeah, I suppose so. I mean... I'm actually the edge is the main thing they've yeah, yeah. lost that they, they, they have a little bit I mean I'm, I'm just I'm just thinking what what have Liverpool done that you just think nobody else could possibly have done you know in yeah, that yeah. time I mean they've done it smoothly and they've, they've been able to react and the knowledge of, of, of agents and contract situations with people like Diaz but there's no secrets in football Liverpool there's nobody Liverpool have signed that we'd never ever heard of probably Endo is the one you know that that most people had gone, who you know, and and even he was well known in in Germany, and obviously you know he's a captain of Japan, so it's not like not in a yeah, it's not. So I don't think you, you need not to be saying that. Yeah, but I think Brighton would be the, a good example. Wouldn't it? It's not like Liverpool have been doing what Brighton have been doing and picking up players from Venezuela and, and Ecuador and and, yeah. and South America. Where you go, oh God, and the guy who's behind that has has left. They've lost accomplished executives and accomplished football people and and people who've had great success in there and that, that of course that that has an impact but there's no I think I think it's the transfer market's pretty standard across the board and you know how many times have we we we've seen people how many times we talk about managers or scouts or directors of football and every time they do an interview they'll say oh we could have had Erling Haaland when he was 14 or we could have had Luis Diaz, you know, when he, just just when he was sort of um, coming through with his youth club in Colombia, you know, you, you, they all know about everything. They've got their their spies, they've got their their, their tentacles across the world, especially at the, at the Premier League level. So I don't think there's there's that element to it that Liverpool are going to suddenly not be able to find players, or or other clubs are going to find players that Liverpool were looking at. But yeah, I think the the bigger issue is probably just the I suppose the amount of I heard it described and it was described as please don't call it this but the fact that it was please don't call it this suggested there is an element of it the brain drain at, at Liverpool with, with, with players, uh, people sorry, leaving in key positions and people with huge experience not just of football and the transfer market but of Liverpool, what Liverpool are after and what Liverpool can do and the parameters but listen I think the idea that you know Manchester City would go to Michael Edwards and say right tell us what Liverpool were doing or tell us what Liverpool's model was. I don't think it'll be like that they at all. They probably already know. Well, they probably they probably already know. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool Liverpool obviously took a few people from Manchester City back in the day, didn't they? And and used them to to build, you know, what they built. Yeah. Subsequently, I've just mentioned a few of them. Um, so I don't think it's it's going to be along that. But yeah, I think what it maybe hints at is just the the sort of 
the competitiveness around the transfer market that everyone's looking for the same thing, aren't they? They're all, you know, you're seeing it now, aren't you? You're seeing all of a sudden Chelsea are really going for the younger market, aren't they? That they're not, they're not doing the sort of um, the 28, 29 year old established pros. I'm pretty sure United will keep going down that road. And I don't, I don't, you know, you can never be sure, but I don't expect them to be sort of in that. Let's get a 30, 31 year old in for a couple of seasons and paying big money. Let's actually get in Erasmus Hoyland or people like that. You're seeing that competitive element that we're, they're all trying to sort of get that edge earlier and earlier and earlier and, and, and do that. And, you know, I think Liverpool already knew that, to be perfectly honest. I think they've already seen it, haven't they? You've seen clubs like Newcastle emerge with, with new money. You've seen Brighton, obviously, what they're doing. Uh, Tottenham seems to have done pretty well this, this summer, don't they, in, 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 you know, their recruitments and selling a big player and then investing that money well. So I don't think it's sort of, it doesn't need to be any more concerning than it already is for Liverpool to have someone like Michael Edwards there. And listen, if, you, if Liverpool are using them and tapping them in, into it, then at least they probably know his information's good, isn't it? And his, his advice is good. Hey, everyone. Hope you enjoyed that clip from Journal Insights. If you want to check out the whole show, we had injury updates on Darwin Nunes, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Ibu Kanate, a little bit of talk about Thiago and a possible transfer, a little bit about Andre as well. Check it all out over on redmenplus.com. Sign up from as little as £6.99 a month. You get that show and everything else we do each and every month. And yeah, if you sign up on a yearly deal, you'll even get yourself a bit of discount as well. Redmenplus.com. I'll see you over there. Yep, thanks Daniel for coming in for that one here each and every week. Really, really good show. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Finally, Liverpool are playing Wolves this weekend, if you wasn't aware of that one. The Reds are back after the international break. Who will be in the Liverpool lineup? We don't really know yet. Still waiting for a little bit more news on that one. But ahead of the game, I was delighted to be joined by Dave from the Talking Wolves channel for the Oppo preview. Here's what Dave had to say about his team, Wolverhampton Wonders. Hello everyone, welcome to the Red Men TV. It's time for another opposition preview. This time it's head of Liverpool's clash at Molyneux against Wolves this weekend. Delighted to say I'm joined by Dave from the Talking Wolves fan channel. Dave, yeah, um, your club is absolutely fascinating to me. I've been doing a little bit of reading and writing, I've been reading and watching this morning. And um, as summers go at a football club, like the, the, the change and the overhaul at Wolves in one summer, it's just been absolutely huge. I was looking, you know, Jimenez, Neves, Pedenz, Martinho goes, Nunes has obviously gone a little bit later, a change of manager on the eve of the season. It, is it as chaotic as, as it appears from the outside? Yes and no. I mean, thankfully, there were a lot of, uh, you know, the big aspects sort of happened a lot earlier than expected or at least Wolves were expecting them to happen uh, I mean the big one is obviously Lopetegui leaving uh, right before the season started the reason that came about was uh, because the club sort of publicly said that they were in financial trouble right at the end of last season Lopetegui had a little bit of a wobble about it and it took him a while to sort of you know carry on or confirm he was going to carry on as Wolves manager got to about uh, you know June he said yeah I'll carry on and then throughout pre-season, I don't know whether he's misunderstood what's been said or the club have miscommunicated to him what the plan was. Uh, but I think it was our penultimate um, friendly. He just said, look, I don't want to carry on as Wolves manager. I'll stay for the next week or so, but you feel free to find a new manager. And that's what happened. Obviously, we, we'd interviewed a few people, but Gary O'Neill was the man that Wolves chose. Got to say at the time, a little bit underwhelming and still obviously he's got he's got to do a lot to, to prove the doubters wrong. Uh, but yeah, never ideal. When the club are in... You know, it wasn't a great season last year anyway when the club were in such a strange position and then for that to happen and then like you say to lose so many influential players Jimenez Neves Nunes was the later one um, it's, it's going to be an interesting season I'm confident that our squad is strong enough to to do the business this year but um, yeah it's going to be very very interesting and rightly or wrongly you know a lot of uh, neutrals writing walls off already to be honest yeah, I mean, like I say, usually if a club loses their manager in the summer, it's usually at the end of a season. Um, and then you've got a bit, you know, the new guy can come in and he can put his stamp on the team. Now, yeah. I know Gary O'Neill's been, you know, and Wolves in particular, been hampered by, by a bit of financial irregularities as well and FF, up against it with FFP and stuff. But I suppose, I mean, again, looking looking at from, from me looking in, like, Lopetegui's can't, did he sell you down the river a little bit? Because if he just said at the end of last season, I'm going. Then the new guy gets to come in early doors. He, you know, he has a proper full preseason. Gary O'Neill turns up, was it like a few days almost before the start of the season? And then before you know it, another player is going. Like it, it just feels like the whether, like you said, miscommunication, whatever. But is there any anger towards Lobotegi from Wolves fans? Because it does feel a little bit like I mean, if you were going to go, like why didn't you go? No, I agree. 
It was. It's a little bit mixed, to be honest, because I I was disappointed with how he handled it from his point of view. Uh, look, there's a lot of negativity towards the board in general and the club in general because ever since the year we came to the Premier League, we had a phenomenal transfer window and really set our foundations down to become, I would say, a, a really decent Premier League team. You know, we got back-to-back seventh-place finishes, but ever since we got into the Europa League, I think the club got very lazy in terms of recruitment and and that's just never improved. So there's still a lot of anger towards the board uh, and how things have gone. Um, so there are some people that you know it's the board's fault, it's the club's fault, but I was still very disappointed with how Lopetegui handled it. I think if he was still unsure, he should have just said at the end of the season, look, I've done my job, I've kept you in the Premier League. He sort of almost proved to the rest of the Premier League, look, I can manage in this division and do a good job. Um, and now, you know, he's still living in and around Wolverhampton. It's really strange. You know, there's pictures of him still locally uh, because he his next job, he wants to be in the Premier League again. So he's staying in England. Um, so I don't know who that will be with or if there's quite a big club that will lose their manager fairly soon. Um, but yeah, for me, I was disappointed. I can completely understand why people would, would vent some anger towards the club, but I still think Lopetegui could have dealt, dealt with it in a much better way. Certainly makes sense. To me. Let's talk about the season. And I say Gary O'Neill comes in. It's, it's a tough job. He's he himself probably harshly sacked from his last club, and he, he gets yeah. the right. He comes into Wolves. I think I heard him say himself he was on holiday when the phone call gets made. He wasn't. You know, you're not expecting to become a manager like a week before the season. Looking at what's happened this season, obviously opened at Man United where he just got done by a ref, beat Everton, which I don't know if that's a, uh, an achievement <laughs> or not. Maybe I don't know, but obviously a <laughs> couple of lot. I mean, a pretty hefty defeat to Brighton. 3-2 against Palace, but I mean, it was a it was a very late goal. I got you back that second one. Um, what have, have you found the season so far? Because like I say, turmoil off the pitch often results in turmoil on the pitch, and I don't know if that's been a reason for it, but I mean, there's been a lot of goals conceded. It's, it's been up and down, is that fair to say? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just been all over the place. I think we all went into that game at Old Trafford on the opening day thinking, right, we're going to get done here because obviously everything that was happening off the pitch and we would say that's our best performance so far this season. I know we lost, uh, but if anybody saw it, you saw how dominant we were. We gave United a really good game. We should have had that late penalty. So we could be having a completely different conversation if that was given. Uh, so yeah, to lose that. And then the game against Brighton was frustrating because I know we lost 4-1, but... We actually didn't play that bad. There was just a 10-minute spell at the start of the second half where we just fell apart and they scored three goals and killed the game off. But there were chances in the first half where we probably should have gone in at halftime winning that game. Um, obviously getting a win against Everton. But then the Palace game more recently was probably our poorest performance, to be fair. Uh, we were really, really poor in that game. So it's just all over the place at the moment. But, you know, there's a lot of... Like I said earlier, there's a lot of doubt towards Gary O'Neill because I think if you asked any Wolves fan or any Premier League fan in general, who do you want to be manager, the next manager of your club, nobody would have said Gary O'Neill. So I said uh, earlier last week, I said this next two weeks, international break is huge for him because... I know it's early, but it could be make or break for him in his Wolves career because, you know, if he can have a really good time away uh, away from the Premier League football, get his ideas into the players, get them playing and, and you know, doing well, you know, he, he could kick on and have a good season. But if not, and it's a disaster, uh, then he might not be Wolves manager for much longer because we've got, again, a really tough month coming up. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll look ahead to the game in a moment. This time last year, well, Liverpool went to Wolves um, later on in the season and got absolutely played off the park, got battered. It does feel like a lot has changed for both clubs since then as well. I mentioned before Neves, Matinho, Pudens, him, like some players who were like staples. You know, if you asked a lot of Liverpool fans the names from Wolves players, they might have been the three or four names that got rattled off straight away. Since then, of course, there's been a couple of transfers, but not too much. You know, obviously Cunha's deal gets um, made into a payment deal. That's probably the biggest deal of the summer. Obviously, that was agreed when the loan happened. It's, it is a much changed Wolf size, isn't it? You know, Lamina and Gomez and. Sarabia, it does feel. Is it still a bit of a bedding in process? Because it, it does. It doesn't. You know, it doesn't look like the familiar wolf size that we've played against for the last few years, really. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think those players that you mentioned earlier, they were almost like the poster boys of Wolves in the Premier League so far, like the Portuguese boys and you know the lads that we'd signed. So it is definitely a huge change, and I think it's frustrating for us as Wolves fans because this is probably the fourth season running where we've almost had a transitional period because Nuno did well in the Europa League and the next season he wanted to change everything during COVID and it didn't quite work out. He moved on. So we had Bruno Large come in and he wanted to change everything. That didn't work out. 
Uh, and then, you know, Lopetegui came in. That was another transitional one. And then we're into a new season now. So as Wolves fans, it is frustrating because we just want some stability. But it is change for us. You know, we've got plenty of... I know there were players that you mentioned there. Pedenz wasn't getting in the squad, though. Jimenez wasn't. Matinho wasn't. So naturally, it probably was time for them to move on. Uh, but, you know, we've got a, a, a new influx of young, hungry, talented players. And it's just up to Gary O'Neill. Can he get these players to settle down and work together as a group? Because genuinely, I think talent-wise, we have got a really talented squad. But it's just trying to find a head coach to, to get the ideas and the plan together. Absolutely. I'm just looking at that Palace team then. It was more like a... It was, it was kind of like 4-4-2-ish, I suppose. Like, it, mm. really. Altnori, Kilman, Dawson, Semedo, Neto, Lamina, Gomez, Arabia, Silva, Cunha. Obviously, Jose Sarling goal as well. Um... Is that pretty much the eleven that you'd expect Liverpool to be facing at the weekend? Could you imagine any changes? I mean, maybe I know Huang's been in and around the first team a little bit as well. But is there anything you know as a Liverpool supporter, should that be the eleven we're expecting to face? It'll, it'll be close to that, I think. I think the back four and the goalkeeper will definitely be the same. I think Lavina and Gomez will probably keep their place. It'll be interesting to see how O'Neill lines up though, and if there are any changes. I think Fabio Silva for me. It's coming, but it's still, it's we just don't know when. You know, he didn't have his best game against Crystal Palace, but then at the same time, he scored, I think, three goals and two assists in two games for Portugal 21s. So he might get a chance, but then there's players like Sasha Kalajic, the big six foot seven lad who scored the winner against Everton, who has been with Gary O'Neill for two weeks. So he may get the nod. And then there's other players that we signed quite late, a guy called Belgard from France who's a really talented player, I think came from Strasbourg and he got about four goal contributions in his first two games. So there's players that are in form and got momentum. Um, but we know with Liverpool, it's going to be a really, really tricky game. Is he going to go more reserved? Uh, are we going to try a different shape? Because so far what we've seen hasn't quite worked. But I think uh, the core of that squad will probably be the same, but we might see one or two changes. Thanks very much to Dave. Um, hopefully his team got beat, but I really appreciate him coming on the show. And thanks all you guys for listening. Like I say, they are just some of the shows we have available for you on Red Men Plus. There's plenty more over there, including all of our draft series, all of our dream team series, tons of documentaries, features, interviews, loads and loads and loads. So yeah, if you want to check them out in full, like I say, redmenplus.com is the place to go or search Red Men Plus podcast in your Spotify app and sign up through there as well. Hope you all have an enjoyable weekend. Hopefully people get the business done against Wolves and we'll be back next week with another Red Men Weekly. Take care and I'll see you all then.